Welcome to Communication on Point podcast. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Steve Lashansky. Steve is the CEO of Optimize International. Since 1992, Optimize International has been working with top leaders and high-performing executive teams across the country and around the world. And he helps them clarify their strategy understand what they're really working to accomplish and improve their ability to execute on what they're trying to achieve. Our conversation today is about gaining insights about how do we improve our decision-making as a team and the language that goes into how we communicate about decision-making, how we improve our ability to connect and understand what it is that we're really trying to accomplish. I look forward to you sharing in that conversation with Steve and me about how we can up our game when it comes to decision-making and how we operate inside meetings. Let's get started. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today on Communication on Point. It's a pleasure, Dean. It's great to be here. I think we share a lot of uh, commonality in our Number one, importance about communication, but number two, how to approach it. Yeah, and I know with the work that you do with executives and organizations, a big part of it is helping them make better decisions. And as I think about my experiences, things I've seen, and I'm sure people listening to this podcast that they've experienced firsthand is you get into a group, you get into a meeting, knowing that there's a decision that needs to get made, or maybe several decisions that need to get made. And what ends up happening is either the group can't make a decision or the outcome isn't a good one. And I guess I want to know, that's a big question, but what's going on that makes it so hard for groups to make decisions? Well, I'll tell you what, the first decision that needs to be made is what's the important decision or outcome we need from this meeting? How many times have you ever been in a meeting, especially a group meeting, where there's a clear agenda, not only about topics, which is really the least important piece, but about what's the purpose of the meeting? Why are we gathered here? And then secondly, what are our most important outcomes? And that's the first thing you need to get clear on when you're in a group meeting. Why are we gathering? Why this group? Why now? Why are we together? And what are the most important outcomes we're here to to really attain? And lacking that, it's a free-for-all. And again, everybody's got their own agenda. They've got their own perspective. They've got their own (laughs) desires and needs. And we haven't really collectively come to an agreement about what really matters. Decision-making, to me, is the singular driving force that moves an organization, executive team, and a senior executive forward. And yet it's one of the weakest things I've ever seen. I'll give you a good example. I opened my new book, which is called Leadership Starts Here, which is really, I believe, decision-making is where leadership really starts execution, culture, talent development, everything else follows from the decisions they make. But I say, you know, the opening says, I walk into a company, and if you want to know how their leadership and their executive team and their overall performance is, and you want to improve their their leadership and performance, my first question is, how strategically aligned is your executive team? And they look at me with a funny face, and I say, give me five minutes with each of your top five people, and I'll tell you in less than 30 minutes. I'm going to ask them three questions. What's your vision? What's your mission? What are your top three strategic objectives? You would think anybody should know that. And if you don't get the same answer from all five executives, you're not strategically aligned. You can only imagine 
how crazy it gets in the rest of the organization. Well, I'm doing this for over 20 years. You know how many times I've gotten the same answer from five senior executives about their vision, mission, and top three strategic objectives? The answer would be absolutely zero. And I've been talking to some very good organizations, and in spite of their inability to come together, coalesce their focus, and operate on what's most important, you can only guess how much energy, time, resources, money they're dissipating by not having that. So to me, that's the story of why decision-making is so critical and why it's so screwy. When you talk about even the best organizations, you rarely run into that type of an alignment. When you think about the meetings that occur, hundreds of thousands of meetings occur in this country every day, what's the cost, as you see it, of organizations or leaders or individuals that don't understand how do we make better decisions? How do we put meetings together that are going to lead to better decisions? What's the impact of that? I would say, and let's divide them up in thirds, your top performing organizations are probably wasting a third of their time, energy, and resources. Your middle third performing organizations are probably wasting close to 40 or 50%. And your poorest performing organizations are probably wasting 75% of their key resources, time, energy, money, people's attention, caring, and commitment. And again, it's a disaster. And some organizations manage to make it work. You know, They've got people who are good enough leaders that somehow they negotiate to get some agreement on critical outcomes. But basically what I always say to everybody, you know, I'll give you one example that I give to every one of my leaders. I call it the 50 choices dilemma. And you've got 50 things to do in a day. For some leaders, that's a pretty good day. I say you have two choices. You can do priorities one, two, and three. You never touch the other 47. Or you do priorities four to 50. You never touch priority one, two, and three. What's your choice? Well, common sense is a no-brainer in this one. It's priorities one, two, and three. That's common sense. It's not common practice. Why is it not common practice? First reason, nobody knows what priorities one, two, and three are. Reason number two, nobody's communicated what priorities one, two, and three are, even if they think they know what it is. Issue number three, why priority one, two, and three are not so obvious is people are too busy to even engage in that conversation, which means they're too busy doing silliness in order to get to what really matters. And it's just, it's one of the best illustrations in a simple way as to why we've got such a profound dysfunction, even among good performing companies. So it sounds like certainly the best performing have an opportunity to get better. But would you say from your experience that if you're working with an organization, that could be a nonprofit, that could be any type of group that's coming together to do something, that one of the biggest impacts on their performance is what you're talking about here, and that is how do we make decisions? How do we come together? How, how do we work? It's the singular most effective thing that they can do in a short period of time is to come together and define what's most important, why it's most important, how do we communicate that to our entire organization. There is nothing that I've ever seen and nothing that any of my clients over more than 25 years have ever seen that transforms, pivots, and, and elevates their ability to perform and produce meaningful results in what I call the strategic alignment, agreement on what our vision, mission, values, and goals are. Because if somebody, you know, for me, the average intelligent executive, the average intelligent professional, if they know what's the most important objectives, they're pretty good at getting to them. 
The problem is, is everybody's scattered. It's the problem I call strategy du jour. Why do people hate change, which is a common understanding among people? They hate change because they know it's just going to change tomorrow and it's going to change again the next week and the week after that. So why should they bother? But if you can show somebody the value of a new approach or a new objective or a new reason why we should do something differently, I find that people are more than ready to jump on board if they see the value of that new idea, of that new objective, of that new reason for doing things differently. Problem is we don't communicate that. We just say, let's try this, then let's try this, then let's try that, then let's try those. And again, people know better than to say, I'm going to change everything I do for the sake of somebody's crazy idea. I'm going to be wanting you to teach me some of the approaches and, and tactics that I can use um, to get better at this. But before we do that, you, you used a word I think that's important, and that's transformation. Do you have an illustration, a, a story that you love that shows how maybe an average performing organization or a poor performing organization made some changes and really experienced a transformation in this area? Well, absolutely. I'm trying to think of which one would be a favorite. Uh, you know, we have we had an organization, and this, we'll use an entrepreneurial organization. I mean, a fast growing, pretty substantial, many, many multi-million dollar organization and a very strong leader. But in order to scale the organization, they really need to have an organization that he can count on. He can't do it all himself anymore. And he had a really good team. So we had 22 people in the room. And in one day, what we did is we got very clear about what our ultimate mission was. And the important part about that is because it has to do with how they want to position themselves in the market, which was getting a little sloppy and a little floppy, which means we're spending time, money, and resources trying to do deals that didn't make sense. So now we have absolute clarity as to what we're going to do. You also have everybody as part of the process, which means they're committed. They own the process. So you had a level of passion and commitment and clarity from his senior team and even the second tier below his senior team about what they're going to do. And what's happened is it's transformed their focus. It's also transformed their culture because we worked out the core values and we start to hold each other accountable for our core values and performing the way we say we want to perform. So what's happened is it's literally upgraded the entire performance of an organization. And you've got people who are more enthusiastic, more committed, more clear. And the results have been astounding, even through the midst of what we're facing over the last number of months here with COVID. Their organization has outperformed what anybody expected. And the people are really you know, cohesive, communicating, even though they're locked up separately you know, because of the COVID situation. But, uh, you know, the performance of the organization has stayed stellar beyond even what the leader had hoped and expected in this particular year. That's just one example. You know, and there was another one I could just give you that, you know, they were looking to actually they had a particular perspective on the market. They were trying to salvage food waste and turn it into positive use, even to food banks. They created a platform. But what they realized when we went through this process is they weren't just about food. They were really came from a sustainability background. But by thinking through the process the way we do, what's our ultimate mission? What's our values? Who are we ultimately? What they came up with is removing waste from the supply chain. Now, their first order of business to do that was in food. But now what they're able to do is to say, 
we can remove waste from the supply chain in many, many different areas. So being able to, this was a startup with some really good funding. They just elevated and expanded their possibilities massively. They're staying focused on food at first, but now they're building capabilities that will allow them to take that to other places. So what it does is it gives them sometimes perspective into who they could be, and sometimes it gets everybody on board with who they are and really are committed to be. So I want to dive into some of the practice behind doing this better. And when I think of the positions I might take, you know, one is as a leader, how I'm maybe organizing how we as a team talk about things. And then the other is as a participant, we find ourselves showing up at meetings that we didn't organize, that we're not in charge of. And I'm sure there's some things we can do to uh, have a positive impact in those situations. So as a leader, let's start there. How do I begin shaping this in a way that has more clarity, this meeting that's going to be more impactful? What are some of the things that I should be doing ahead of us getting together? And while we're together, what are the tools I need in my toolbox? Dean, the most powerful question that can be asked and needs to be answered in almost every situation is, what is most important here? I mean, I colloquially say, what's most important is always what's most important. The question is, do we know it's most important from this meeting or this gathering? And if we don't know what's most important as a leader, I would ask who's ever organizing it, or I would take responsibility as the leader to say, here's the most important outcomes. That's the goal. The purpose, this is why we're doing it in order to further this project, this initiative, this expansion, this recovery, whatever it is. But if you don't know what's the most important result of a meeting, I'm going to guarantee you it's going to be a far less effective meeting. And it's going to take far more time. Two things that (laughs) effectiveness and timeliness are two things that we always value and need more of. And one of the complaints I hear from people, especially in large organizations, but it it happens in small and mid-sized organizations too, is I spend 70% of my time in meetings. And most of them, I have no idea why we're having the meeting. So what can I do about it? Well, if you're the leader, you should demand if you're going to a meeting that you or the person responsible for calling the meeting has a clear agenda, not only about topics and time, what's our most important outcome? If you're a participant in a meeting, my first question is, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are our priority results that we need to accomplish? Because short of having that, you're going to be wasting time trying to figure out what you're there for. And again, the most precious commodity we all have in this day and age is the time and attention. And if you're in a big meeting without an agenda of outcomes, you're probably only half there, if that much. And you're only going to get half as much as you possibly could from a group. So the question is always, what's our most important outcome? I mean, this is where I start when I'm meeting an executive team. What are your most important, what are your three most important strategic objectives? If you don't know that as a leadership team in an organization, how do you expect to accomplish them? If you're going to a meeting and we don't know the most important outcomes, how do you expect to accomplish them? And anything short of that is wasting time, energy, resources, money, and wasting, most importantly, your people. Well, and certainly the people aspect, you know, it's a critical asset. For many years, we've heard this concept of the war for talent and great people with great talents, with great energy, want to be a part of winning teams. So it sounds like as an executive or as a leader, 
my ability to create a culture that is aligned, has clarity on where we're going, and is efficient with our ability to make decisions and execute on those decisions is going to have a impact on my ability to attract and keep talent. How does how does this type of a culture affect our talent approach? Well, fundamentally, the most committed people know why they're doing what they're doing. So for your listeners here, try this out with me. You can do it along with me too, Dean. So I just go along with me on this one. Raise your hand as high as you can. Okay, now raise it higher. You do notice that you actually raised it higher the second time. So what was the problem with the first order of business? You're accommodating me by raising your hand, but I'm never going to get 100% commitment, even if you're willing to go along with me, until you know why I'm asking you to do something. So once again, until people know why they're doing what they're doing, what's the purpose of this meeting? What's the purpose of this organization? What's the purpose of my work? If you can't answer those questions and your people can't answer those questions concisely, clearly, and with a passion and connection and commitment to it, you know what? You're not getting the best out of your people and they're not fully committed. You, they've got to know why they're there for, as your organization. Why is this organization here that matters? Why am I here that it matters that I'm doing the job I'm doing? you can't answer those questions, you're going to be operating with one hand tied behind your back, metaphorically, sometimes two hands. Certainly. So there's different types of meetings, obviously. There's meetings that are, you know, the dreaded status updates. There's meetings to make decisions. There's meetings, uh, all kinds of meetings. And sometimes there's meetings that because it's on the calendar and we do it every week, we just get together and do it. We're on autopilot. If I'm an organizer, if I'm somebody that's in charge of a meeting, maybe I'm in a volunteer committee, maybe I'm a part of a project at work, let's build a, a quick, maybe pre-meeting checklist, you know, a, a few questions that I need to be asking myself before I go to or organize a meeting. What, what are some of the questions that I should be asking myself as a meeting organizer? Well, first of all, that's a great question. So the first question to ask is, what's the most important outcome? or outcomes, because there might be more than one for a particular meeting. Second question, why, is, why does this matter now? And why does it matter with this group we're calling together? Third key question, who should be in this meeting who can either add value to the discussion or make decisions about our outcomes, or about the choice of our outcomes? So those are your first three questions. What really matters most here? What's the most important result? Second question, why is that a good answer as to what's most important? Because we need to be able to explain why we're doing this. Third, who should be a part of this? The fourth part is what most people spend any time and attention on if they do it before a meeting at all. And that's what are the topics that would be worthy of being discussed. But that is so secondary to what are our most important outcomes. I mean, it's really not that complex. You know, it's like the priorities one, two, and three. Tell me what they are. We could probably do something about them. But if I don't know what they are, we're just going to wander around and come up with whatever is in front of us, called the to-do list usually. And the to-do list rarely reflects the priority list. Now, this, this program is all about improving our communication so we can strengthen our leadership and grow our impact. And when I think about decision-making, when I think about meetings, embedded in all of that is how we communicate, the language that we use. And so as the leader, these, these kind of pre-work questions for me 
seems like that's not just for what I need to do to get my thinking right, but how I can communicate with the people in the meeting or at the organization about what to expect. How do I effectively communicate to establish good expectations and the right mindset coming into that type of a meeting? Well, the first order of business for a leader is to lead by example. And if the leader does not have a clarity of outcomes for the organization, whether that's a part of, you know, a division of an organization or the entire company or nonprofit or whatever it is, you know, the leader must have a clear set of here's our objectives, here's our mission, here's our ultimate vision. That's the strongest communication you can make. We have a vision of the future based on our mission about why we do what we do, and we're going to measure our impact and we're going to measure our progress and we're going to measure our success based on our most important outcomes. If that's always clear, and when we start to do the strategic alignment process of getting those elements clear, the first thing I say to them, for the next 90 days, you start every meeting with the corporate vision, mission, and goals, which should take you all of 30 seconds. And you got to ask the question, how are we doing? Are we still on track with these? Because if they're not on track, you got to ask the question, why are we not on track? Were these not good enough and clear enough, or are we just not focused on them? But once you have that for the overall organization, the next part for every you know sub leader here or manager or professional within the organization, the next question is, what's my role in achieving these goals consistent with our mission and our vision? And when you start to have that kind of alignment throughout an organization, the acceleration and the elevation of performance and results is, uh, staggering is probably the best word. It is amazing. And especially in a good performing organization, when people get that extra level of clarity, that extra level of focus, that extra level of understanding what would be of the greatest impact and why, what takes place is almost breathtaking in terms of not just the ability to perform better and produce better, but the ease with which it happens. It doesn't take more time. It takes more focus to be outstanding. So if I'm, let's say, not in a position of authority, but I'm in meetings, what are some of the things that I can do to have a positive impact on the outcome of these meetings? Well, again, I think if you're always serving the best interests of your organization, the ultimate vision, mission, and goals of your organization, and you use that as your context for asking for doing things better, you're going to be in good shape. So I'm coaching a middle manager of a very significant organization. And the organization's whipsawing all around. He's running his organization really well, but he's being pulled into crazy political silliness. So I said to him, you can always step up and say, I'm a team player committed to, and I'm not going to go through the specifics of the organization, but committed to these principles and values that we continually espouse. But how does this work consistently with these things? And you've got to be willing to be bold enough to say, in the interest of serving what we claim to be what's our most important vision, mission, and values and goals, why are we doing this? Because when you're asking to bring things into alignment, it's the best thing you can do from inside an organization. You also want to do it from a communication point of view, Dean, and you and I share the importance of that. You've got to set context in a way that the other people want to engage in that conversation. And the best way to set context about engaging in a conversation is to talk about what's important to the other person. 
And if they're part of an organization that claims certain values and mission by saying, let's talk about whether or not we're being congruent with our mission and our values is a good way to set the context where anybody who's truly committed would step back and say, yeah, you're right. We need to think about this. So the insights you've shared are, you know, certainly not complex. They're not hard, but I, no doubt there's organizations that are exposed to better ways of doing things. You know, they see there's things that we can implement that are going to give us better, better results. But I'm also guessing that that doesn't happen hundred percent of the time. What are some of the things that keep organizations from really making that leak from really making that transformation? Well, let me just talk about everybody knows the old 80-20 rule, Pareto's law. You know, 20% of your clients produce 80% of your revenues, 20% of your efforts produce 80% of your results. I have a new 80-20 rule I've been using for over 20 years, and it goes like this, Dean. 80% of success is common sense. Less than 20% of the people are using it. And this really explains most of the issue. So much of what we're talking about, I say to my clients, this should be commonsensical. This shouldn't be esoteric, strange philosophy. It should make sense if we're human beings and we pay attention, we pay attention in a significant way to what really works. That's common sense. Less than 20% of the people are using it. Now, once they're exposed to common sense, once they're aware of different choices, the question is, what's it going to take to get there? Now, I'll tell you what, the greatest impediment to change in my book is, and I always ask this question to all my audiences, what's the greatest impediment to change? You know, the closest they usually come is to say, us ourselves. Well, that's true. We call that accurate but not useful. To me, the greatest impediment to change is our habits. And unless you get support, consulting, coaching, somebody who continually reminds you as, by being a good example of what it takes to break that habit to focus on what really works, it's really a difficult thing. It is common sense, it's not common practice, and we need to consistently work to shift our habits once we're aware. And it takes work, it really does take work, it takes consistency. You and I both do a lot of coaching, I think it's one of the most important tools for moving people forward. So your organization, Optimize International, what does Optimize International exist for? What's, what's the mission there? What are you trying to accomplish with what you're doing? So our mission is to create outstanding leaders who create the environments and workplaces where people can make a major contribution to their own fulfillment and the fulfillment of others by using their greatest talents, capabilities, and resources. And I'll tell you what, when you find organizations where people are on fire with passion, that's what's going on. They're connected. They're able to express themselves. They're able to work together. They're multiplying their effect by working together as teams, not dividing their effect because that's what happens in too many organizations. Why do people not love working in big organizations? Most of the time because there's crazy, screwy politics. Nobody knows why they're doing what they're doing, much less what really matters. So the most important thing for me to build the workplaces that really would have people engaged to do their best and to multiply their efforts by working with others but that really takes great leadership. So Optimize International is founded on the principle of developing the great leaders that will build the great organizations. That's my personal passion. I think you can hear it. Um, that's also my work. And I've spent most of my years, both when I ran companies and also consulting for the last 28 years to you know everything from fast growing startup entrepreneurial companies 
to Fortune 50 multi-billion dollar organizations. You know, the key principle is how do we become more effective, more productive, more profitable, and more fulfilled? That's the simple premise. Those are the four metrics that I use. That's awesome. And certainly the the business environment is always dynamic. There's always challenges we're facing. There's always change that's happening. But in the current COVID environment, uh, I believe everything has just been accelerated by maybe five or 10 times. What are you seeing that the the best led organizations are doing right now to deal with this accelerated change and to be more prepared for what the near term and longer term future is looking like? Well, you know what? That's what every single leader should be asking themselves. What are we doing to prepare for the future as unknown it is, as it is? One of my favorite laugh lines is what almost every executive I've talked to has been saying to me. I wish I had more certainty about the future, <laughs> to which I respond, when did you ever, other than you had the illusion that you did? You know, if you knew what the future would hold, you'd be buying stocks and selling stocks and making millions of dollars a day. And the clarity is we don't know what the future holds, but that also behooves us to build the strongest possible platforms we can. And the strongest possible platforms are the ones that don't change every day with every pandemic, with every situation, with every client crisis. And those platforms are the platform of our vision, our values, and our mission. Those don't change with every phone call, with every quarter. And if you've got a strong platform of vision, mission, values that you reinforce and that's really owned not by you as a senior leader, but by your entire organization because they buy in, now you've got a platform to have a culture of engagement, participation, contribution, and that's what it takes. Now, once you've got that established, because if you don't have that, you're just driving people hard. But let's assume you've got that quality of culture. The next step is to really do what I call contingency planning. You know, what are the possible outcomes? Well, we've got some space and time because this has actually been a time where a lot of things, as fast as they might seem, have actually slowed down for a lot of people. Where there is more time to think for most of my leaders, in fact, and I challenge every leader to have time, what I call thinking time. If you don't have thinking time on your calendar every day, you're probably not a highly effective executive. And whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, the questions of thinking time or what's working best, what's most challenging, how does that affect my priorities for this day, this week, this month, and this quarter? And if you don't have at least 15 minutes a day to do that, I don't know how you lead an organization. But once you have that and you're thinking those things through, now you start to ask yourself the question, what could happen in a best case and coming out of what we're going through right now? What's a worst case? What's a likely case? How would I respond to these? And to have some time to think about it when you're not under pressure and your biggest client just declared bankruptcy, which could put you out of business, that's not the time to do your best thinking. Your best thinking comes when you're prepared, you've thought through scenarios, you have some very thoughtful, well-engaged, uh, diversified opinions around how you'd approach those things. Now you're prepared. Doesn't mean you've got the exact formula, but at least you've done the proper thinking. And if you go back to some of the wartime generals, they always say, you always need a plan when you go into battle and it changes as soon as you meet the enemy. But at least you know what you thought, how you thought about it, and you know where the changes are, where the thing you didn't think about or the thing that you did recognize, you know how to leverage. So again, contingency planning to me, Dean, is one of the things that's most missing 
assuming you've got yourself a good culture with clarity of your people around your vision, mission, values. Yeah, and that highlights the difference between plans and planning. And I know some people can uh, get down on plans because they know how fragile they are. But what I hear from you is the power is in the planning, the thinking, the the possibilities. And as executives, as leaders, as individuals, we need to be able to take time to think through and do those things. Can I just say something? I think that's so important. It is the planning, not the plan that matters. I wish I could take credit for that brilliance, but I think it was Peter Drucker. Yeah, it's powerful. So as as we think about improving our organizations with better decision-making, better meetings, uh, better approaches by our leaders, what's something that, that a listener to this conversation, you really want them to take away? That if, if nothing else, there's one thing they keep in mind that can have a positive impact for wherever they find themselves. The single most powerful question for human beings whether you're in an organization, a family, or just trying to figure out what you want to do with your own life is, what's most important for me in this context? The context, whether it's your work situation, your life, your family, your relationship, your finances, what's my most important outcome here? And then the second best question, which is probably the one you should already have answered before the first one, actually, why is that my best choice? If you can answer those two, not just that one, but those two questions, those will put you in a great space of thoughtfulness, of focus, of ability to move things out of your way that don't matter, and to be able to bring impact to everything that you do. What's most important in this situation? Why is that my best choice? If you can answer those with conviction and clarity and courage, you're all set. That's tremendous. And this has been an awesome uh, conversation. And certainly we've just scratched the surface. And if people want to learn more about uh, some of the things you're working on or stay in touch with you, where would you direct them? Best place to go is the website, optimizeintl.com. That's optimizeintl for international, but it's just optimizeintl.com. Also, you can find me under Steve Lashansky. There's only one of me on LinkedIn. And of course, you can reach out to me at steve at optimizeintl.com with any questions. I'd be delighted to answer for your listeners, Dean. This has been such a pleasure. And I will put links to those contact points that you mentioned in uh, in the information on the podcast. Steve, I have very much uh, enjoyed our conversation and the insights that you've shared. And I appreciate the work that you do with organizations, helping them become more effective. Well, Dean, thank you. We have a mutual admiration society going here because I really respect the work you do with the organizations on communication. It is the fundamental. If we don't communicate, we don't build anything. So thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Take care, Steve. Thank you, Dean. 